Well, some of you know that Trish and I's three kids are all grown up now. Now it's grandchild time. But one of the things that I still remember when I was a dad of, a young, uh, of younger children is probably 25 years ago, there was a book that my kids used to like to, I'd read with them. And I think some of you even have heard of the title. It's called Where's Waldo? <laughs> Does any of you remember what Waldo looked like? I mean, uh, red stripes, white stripes, normally unmissable in a crowd, right? But Waldo was hard to find. In fact, my kids usually found Waldo before I did. In these pictures, he'd be hiding, waving usually, and just, oh, there's Waldo. I bring all this up because I don't know if you've realized this yet, but in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is looking for something, and he doesn't always find it. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I want to think about together with you as we look at this passage today in Luke's Gospel. What's Jesus looking for? What's Jesus looking for? The answer is faith or trust in him. What Jesus is looking for is faith and trust in him. You know, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth that the Lord may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. He's looking for faith. The, the issue is, does he find it? And what I want you to see today in the passage we're going to look at in Luke 7 is that if you're following along, he commends a military officer, a Roman centurion, that is, for his great faith. He commends a military officer for his great faith. In other words, when Jesus finds faith, he often points it out. He stops and says, there it is. There it is. That's what I'm looking for. And oftentimes when he points it out, it's not the people we thought that would have the faith that he notices. It's people that in a way are kind of unlikely to us. And that's certainly the case today with this Roman centurion. Now, here's what I want you to think about with me. Hebrews 11, if you've never studied it, is often called the faith chapter or the hall of fame of faith. And uh, this, that might be a helpful thing for you to do in this next week is read that chapter if you want to grow in a, a genuine faith in Christ. But here's the Hebrews 11.1. 1. It starts out this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By the way, it's not just what we hope for, like, you know, Gucci shoes and a Cadillac and stuff like that. It's what we hope for about what Christ has promised, okay? So now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith has the ability to see things that have not yet happened or that may not be visible to us right yet, but we can actually see it happening, okay? Now notice a few verses later, Hebrews eleven six. It says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, sometimes when we read that verse, we go, man, that sounds kind of like heavy. But let me ask you this question. You know this as well as I do. Can a relationship ever be healthy if there's not trust? So without trust... It's impossible to please God in the sense that there's no way. That's what he's looking for. He wants to know, do you trust him in such a way that he can trust you and, and interact with you? Are you interested in that kind of relationship? So uh, one last question that comes up in Luke 18, just again, about 11 chapters later. He asked this question. Let's read it together. 
when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Like as he looks to and fro throughout our church family today, or he looks in this city, he looks in this world, does he see you and I? Does he see trust, reliance, dependence, faith in our hearts with him? You know, again, in a room like this, I don't know where some of you are. I don't know if you um, are having a hard time trusting him right now. I don't know if you would say, I don't have faith. Or if you would say, this has been probably one of the most powerful chapters in my life of learning how to trust God. And it's been messy, but I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing. I don't know where you are, but here's what I want you to know. I think this passage can be encouraging to you wherever you are. So I wanna invite you to turn to Luke chapter seven. We've been hanging out in the gospel of Luke for the last few months, and we're gonna do that for the first six months of the year. Luke chapter seven, if you're getting used to your Bibles, it's about three-fourths of the way back. If you're using one of those black Bibles that we have in the seat racks, hopefully nearby you, it's on page 720. But we're gonna look at verses one through 10 of chapter seven in Luke. If you haven't been with us, we've been doing this series called The Life of Christ, where as I just said, the first six months of 2016, we're gonna spend time there. We've said several times that we wanna look at the words, the works, and the way of Jesus. And also, we wanna be with Jesus. We believe that because he is alive, that as we read these words, that we can actually be with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. That's really what God's goal is, is to make us more and more like Jesus and to enable us to trust him like he's looking for. So here's just a couple thoughts for you. First, if you'd like, some people have told me that it helps to actually do some things during the week so I can think about this some more. So every once in a while I offer ideas. Well, here is a series we did back in 2011 in the book of James. And James is a tremendous book about trusting God, no matter what circumstances we go through. So we called it Faith for the Fight, that series. And if you look at these dates up here, I think it's March 13th and 20th. Do we have those there? March 13th and 20th, 2011. If you go to our website, cherryhillsfamily.org, to the messages in the archive, you could listen to those. Steve and I teach a couple messages on what faith looks like. There's actually more in that series if you want to listen to those. But funny thing, by the way, about our website. I was with a group of young leaders this last week. Again, most of them do not go to our church. These are people that I've just had the privilege of getting to know over the last few months. And uh, one of the guys stops me afterwards and uh, I was gonna talk to him about having lunch and he said, uh, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I've been listening to the podcast. Now, I didn't even know he knew my name. I didn't even know, but he, he had gone to Cherry Hill's website and he's been listening to those. He said, when I take flights or when I'm exercising. And so I never know how far the reach of our church family might go. I never know if those messages could be helpful in some way. But here's what I know is that if you're interested in growing, that's our desire is to help you grow. So here's the second thing before we look at this passage. Here's how it gets practical and how it might be helpful to you. As we study this about the Roman centurion, here's what I'd like you to be thinking about. I'd like if you could think about what situation in your life right now are you finding it difficult to trust the Lord with? It may be a a, a hurt in the past. It may be a broken relationship or a strained relationship. It may be financial. It may be your health. It may be school. It may be work. It may be your neighborhood. I have no idea what it might be. In a room this size, it could be any one of a hundred or a thousand things. But what is it that right now is pressing in on you and you're finding it difficult to trust God? Because if you'll think about that while you're listening to this message, I think you'll find that what Jesus wants to teach us today will have a lot better 
higher chance of connecting right where you live. Because we want to make it tangible and concrete because nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So let's think about that together. And here's where we're going today. I want you to see that we're going to study the encounter that Jesus has with this Roman centurion. And then we're going to talk about this question of what is great faith? Most of the time, the minute we hear that, we think, oh, that's like faith that's so huge, so big. But actually, Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're thinking about the size of faith, you're already in the wrong direction. Great faith is a quality of faith. It's a kind of faith. And so I don't know about you, but I want to learn more about that. So let's pray that God would teach us more about how to have the kind of faith that he's looking for. Now, Heavenly Father, in a room this size, I know that only with your authority and power, could people walk away sensing that you've spoken directly to them. So I trust you, Lord, that you'll help me be able to teach in such a way that it becomes more about you speaking to us than me. Oh, how I need you to speak to me as well. Please teach us from the word of God. In your name we ask, amen. Okay, let's look at this passage together. I'll read verses one through five. And when we get to verse six, Uh, And seven in that first gray box, I'll ask you to read along. And then when we get to verse nine in that second gray box, I'll ask you to join me there too, please. All right, here we go. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Now we've been in Capernaum before when Jesus did that amazing miracle with Peter out on the boat. Then a centurion, there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, now are you ready to read with me? Let's read together. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Then verse 8. So, for I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, would you read verse 9 with me, please? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So let's look at this passage together. I want you to notice some things that kind of stood out to me this week and that might be helpful as we think about uh, this encounter and what faith is, the kind of faith Jesus is looking for. First thing. Notice this if you're following along. The centurion's encounter with Jesus begins when his servant is sick and about to die. The centurion's encounter with Jesus begins when his servant is sick and about to die. What I want you to notice is is that this event in his life, when this servant who he cared about is terribly sick, it gets his attention. And when it gets his attention, it kicks into motion a decision that he has to decide what he's going to do. And he decides to turn to Jesus. Now, when he turns to Jesus, I want to talk to you about something, uh, just be total honest here. In Matthew's gospel, 
it says that when he turned to Jesus, he actually goes, it, it, it implies that he goes in person and that he actually talks to Jesus in person. That's the implication. But Luke's gospel shows us that he doesn't go to Jesus. He sends messengers and he sends friends. And so I want you to think about this encounter, not with the Roman centurion talking directly to him, but actually sending messages through these people. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But listen to what Warren Wiersbe says about this centurion. In the Gospels and the book of Acts, Roman centurions are presented as quality men of character. And this one is a sterling example. The Jewish elders had little love for the Romans in general and Roman soldiers in particular. And yet the elders commended this officer to Jesus. He loved the Jewish people in Capernaum and even built them a synagogue. He loved his servant and did not want him to die. The centurion was not a stoic who insulated himself from the pain of others. He had a heart of concern even for his lowly servant who was dying. Matthew's condensed report does not contradict Luke's fuller account. The centurion's friends represented him to Jesus and then represented Jesus to him. When a newscaster reports that the president or the prime minister said something to Congress or parliament, this does not necessarily mean that the message was delivered to them in person. It was probably delivered by one of their official representatives, but the message would be received as from the president or prime minister personally. So I wanted to see that, and let me just say a few things about the centurion. First, uh, if you've never thought about what a centurion did, uh, I thought, what is the word inside centurion? Do you hear it? Century. So what is a century? How many years? Hundreds. So how many soldiers typically would a centurion be responsible for? A hundred. So these were the backbone of the Roman army. And uh, therefore, uh, they, the generals were above, above them, but they had learned how to command the respect of their soldiers and also the cities that they were often stationed in. And we see some of these things about the centurion. And here's what I want you to know. This guy was a model citizen in his community. This guy had genuine concern for people. He wasn't just about power. And friends, I've often thought about our city. There are people in this city who we respect, although they do not share our faith, who show a kind of sensitivity to us and a kind of respect towards us that makes us respect them too. And we need to keep those kind of people in mind because what I want you to see is this is the person that Jesus finds has faith. Not the church people, not the people that everybody would have expected to. He finds it in this guy. God had been doing something in this guy's heart. It becomes evident. Second thing that I want you to see is what Fred Craddock says. He says this, he says, the centurion himself never came in contact with Jesus. That fact is important to the story in, in, in several ways. First, the centurion anticipates all those believers yet to come who have not seen Jesus, but who have believed his word as having the power of his presence. In fact, this author puts John 20, 29, which is when Jesus appears to Thomas, who had said, I will not believe unless I can put my hands in his nail prints and his side. And Jesus, when he meets Thomas, he says, Blessed are you because you've seen me and you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
So this guy had not seen Jesus. He had not seen Jesus, but he had come in contact with Jesus. We'll get to that in just a minute. Notice what it says. Such faith is not disadvantaged as though it were secondhand or belief at a distance, a consideration of major importance to those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, but who are of another time and another place. The word of Christ is so effective and present in all times and places that it creates and sustains the church. I love that. And so what I want you to see is this centurion had heard, you know, he begins when his servant is sick and about to die. I asked you to think about what is it that prompts you to think about whether or not you should turn to Jesus. Second thing, notice this. He has heard of Jesus in Capernaum, if you're following along. He has heard of Jesus in Capernaum. This week when I was reading this text, that just stood out to me. He'd heard of Jesus. It doesn't say he saw Jesus. He'd heard of Jesus. I wonder, how did you hear of Jesus? Who told you? Was it a parent? Was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Was it a neighbor? Was it a grandparent? Who told you? How did you hear of Jesus? And when he hears of Jesus, something begins to stir in his life. Something begins to happen. Now, how did he hear of Jesus? Well, as one of my friends said to me this week, if you read the verses before this chapter, it was hard not to hear of Jesus. He was doing so many unbelievable miracles. He was speaking with such authority and power that people were not used to that and word was spreading like wildflower. People were, wild, did I say wildflower? (laughs) Yes, forget that. Um, The idea is wildfire. The idea here is, is that Many people had heard of Jesus. It just didn't make any difference in their life. Do you remember when he came to his hometown in Nazareth? Did their hearing of Jesus and even seeing Jesus make any difference in their life? No, not necessarily. But that's the beginning point for all of us is at least hearing of Jesus. And so what I put there is John 4 out to the right. Back when we did the series on John a few years ago, we studied this, but there was a royal official who had a son that was dying, and so he urgently travels over a day, probably a day and a half to get to Jesus. And he falls before Jesus, and he says, would you please heal my son? And uh, Jesus has an encounter with him, and he says, look, go home, your son is okay. Now, he had to leave Jesus, not knowing whether or not that was for sure true. He had to believe that Jesus was telling the truth. He goes home and his son's healed. Guess what town that royal official lived in? Capernaum. Same town as this guy. And uh, one of the things that I appreciate as we study Luke, if you go all the way back to the first three verses of Luke, first three or four verses, he says there, look, I recorded this whole gospel for you, a man called Theophilus, and I want you to know that I've carefully investigated this. I've talked with the eyewitnesses. I've talked with the people that were part of these accounts. This is not some fiction or some fantasy. This is history. So I want you to know that. And what I like about that is I think that's one of the reasons why we have some extra details here in Luke. I think there's things that he investigated with this guy. I think he got a chance to talk to this guy later. And also, I believe that this, what started when he first heard about Jesus actually turned into the rest of his life following Jesus. I believe he was probably one of the followers of Jesus. I don't know that for sure, but I think that's one of the reasons why we have this account and we know what we do. But regardless, just notice that he's heard of Jesus. Do you realize, I want to just stop for a second and talk to you as a church family. Do you understand why we exist as a church? 
It's not to get perfect attendance on Sundays. It's not even to get warm feelings when we sing or things like that. It's to know Jesus and make him known. We do not exist just for ourselves, friends. If we think of ourselves in this city as like the frozen chosen, it's bad news. We are meant to be a blessing to our city. And you know, some people will never hear of Jesus unless you tell them what he's done for you. A witness is not someone who tells people what they don't know. A witness only tells people what they've seen and heard, what they've experienced firsthand. And so Romans 10 reminds us of this. Look at verse 14 in chapter 10. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Look at verse 17. So faith comes from what, friends? Seeing, hearing. Faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. And I'm praying that right now, maybe there's someone who either here or hears this in the podcast, as you listen right now, Jesus is reaching out to you and you hear him, you hear of him, and you find your heart being stirred. Third thing I want you to notice is this, is that though Jewish mess, through Jewish messengers, he asked Jesus to come. Through Jewish messengers, he asks Jesus to come. Here's what I want you to notice. Some people say, oh, he thinks he's too good, so he just sends some of his messengers. No, no, no. We're going to find out later. This is actually out of respect for Jesus. If you read Acts 10, you know that Jewish people were not even supposed to go in houses of non-Jewish people called Gentiles. You guys all remember from the Galatians series, if you're a part of it, that we talked about what is a Gentile? It's anyone who's not. Right, you guys have it. That's great. (laughs) The point is, is that we are Gentiles. This guy was not part of the group that was expected to have faith. This this guy was from outside that. So again, he, he sends Jewish messengers because he thinks, you know, maybe Jesus would be more inclined to listen to someone of his own you know, race of his own religious background. And so he sends them respectfully. But notice, he asks Jesus very specifically, would you come and help heal my servant? He asked him very clearly. Next thing I want you to see is that he has friends tell Jesus he's undeserving and unworthy. He has friends tell Jesus he's undeserving and unworthy. Now, this is where, I don't know if you guys ever saw the the cat food commercial years ago. I sometimes call it the chow, chow, chow thing where the cat goes forward and then the cat goes backward like this. Okay, this feels like a chow, chow, chow moment to me right here. Because he like asked Jesus to come and then all of a sudden he sends another wave of people going, "Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you don't necessarily, you probably shouldn't come under my roof. So I want you to notice something, friends. Later, Jesus is going to say this guy has great faith, but he doesn't have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that we always are, you know, unflinching or everything figured out. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes have these moments. So picture it. He's got the, uh, the, the elders of the Jews uh, that are leading him to this guy's house. They're coming with Jesus. And they get about probably a mile or we don't know exactly far, but as they got near to the house, now he sends a second wave of friends. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, maybe, maybe this is wrong. Maybe Jesus actually shouldn't come to my house because I'm unworthy, I'm undeserving. And so he sends those friends out to do that and give the way. Now, if he had stopped there, 
That would not have been great faith. It's what he says next. But say the word. But say the word. You see that? If you're following along in the notes, he says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he says, for I myself am a man under, not just with, under authority. And when I tell soldiers to do things, they do things even when I'm not in their presence. If they receive that order or that message from me, it still happens whether I'm with them or not because I have the ability to exercise that authority and I'm under authority greater than my own. And this is a powerful, powerful insight, but here's what I want to ask you. Have you thought about this idea that the Jewish elders say, he deserves it, you should help him. And he says, no, no, I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy for you to help me. Which one's right? This guy's certainly respectable, but here's what I want you to understand about great faith as we talk about it more. What makes faith great is when we realize who Jesus really is and we realize who we really are before Jesus. And this guy was getting it. He understood some things about Jesus and his incredible authority and he understood some things about himself and his own unworthiness and his own undeserving even though he was a model citizen. He knew what was really going on in his heart and just by encountering Jesus, he was becoming aware of this. And so John the Baptist John the Baptist once said this in Luke 3.16. This is really powerful. You know, here is a guy that is a great prophet. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He's like in a different league than me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Wow, not worthy. And so notice this. And notice, though, that he doesn't say, and it's not chow to chow to the place where he says, I'm unworthy, therefore, you, you probably don't want to heal my servant, and I'm not going to ask anymore. You can go back to what you're doing. No, he says, I'm unworthy, but I'm asking you to heal my servant. Wow. What does he understand about Jesus? And what does he understand about himself? We're going to come back to that. The last thing I want you to see in this section is this, is that Jesus is amazed by this Gentile's faith. Jesus is amazed by this Gentile's faith. There's only a couple times that it says that Jesus is amazed besides this text right here. In Matthew's account of this same story, it shows that Jesus is amazed. So he's amazed by great faith, but do you know what else amazes him? Look at Mark 6, 6, if you would. It says that in you know, one of his hometowns there, he could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at what? Their lack of faith. So Jesus is amazed when he sees faith, when he finds it. And he also is amazed when he doesn't. Sometimes because people, all the opportunity in the world, but they don't trust him. They don't rely on him. They don't depend on him. They don't believe in him. So what do we learn? One of the things that, uh, I was thinking about this week is, is why was Jesus amazed? What amazed Jesus? Let me just mention four possibilities. First, the centurion's background. Centurion's background, think about it. He was not a church guy. 
Even though he helped build their synagogue, he didn't have all the benefits of Sunday school and all those kind of things. And some of you, by the way, every time whenever I mention how I had the privilege of growing up where my mom and dad taught me about Jesus, some of you are out there going, lucky duck. It's not where I start, man. I'm still trying to get to first base and just knowing who Jesus is. Here's what I want you to notice. This guy had great faith. You don't have to know a whole lot of things to have great faith. It's not about superiority that way. So his background, the second thing I want you to notice is his position, his occupation. Most of the time, Roman citizens, they were very pluralistic in the sense that I respect your faith, I respect your faith, but very few of them would actually respect enough to act on their faith in someone else like that. And, and this guy's occupation should have normally made him hardened, should have normally made him just, you know, well, that's for those dumb Jewish people. This is how often the Romans thought. But that's not how this guy thinks. Third thing is his wealth. Do you remember he helped build the synagogue? If you study Jesus' words in his gospels, he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? Most people are so deceived and so secure in their wealth that they don't trust God and therefore they don't enter into the kingdom of heaven and therefore it's hard for them. But what's impossible with human beings is possible with God. You know what he's, Jesus is saying right here? By grace, he got through the needle. He understood that his money was not what merited him before God. That was not where his trust was. Therefore, it didn't get in the way. And the fourth thing, that makes his faith great is the fact that he had a certainty about Jesus and a certainty about himself. He understood Jesus for who he really was and he understood himself for who he really was before Jesus. And he said, this guy, when he heard of me, he could picture me going to his servant and healing him even by speaking a word from a distance. I didn't even have to be in the same room. I didn't even have to be under his roof. Wow. Amazing. So what's great faith? Let's talk about this. What's great faith? And this week, I just want to tell you, as I thought about this, I'm a little nervous sharing this with you because there's a couple ideas here. First of all, the temptation is to try and tell you everything about faith that's ever been said. And I can't do that, but I want to tell you some things that helped me this week. And I've been praying that these might be helpful to you as you think about whether or not you have the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for and want to, wants to cultivate in your life and mine. Here's the first thing. If you see, there's three things that I list there, a new realization, a new direction, and a new foundation. First, a new realization. A, reala a realization of what? Of Jesus' great authority over me of Jesus' great authority over me. Do we have that uh, definition of authority that we can put up on the screen there? Um, here's what it is. The power or right to direct or control someone or something. So the idea here is that when you and I have a realization of Jesus' authority and how great it is over us, it begins to change everything. The idea here is that if you, for instance, John, one of his disciples who traveled with him for three years, it says that later, after Jesus had risen and ascended into heaven, John was able to be in, in heaven in some moments. He was caught up and he saw this. And it says, when he saw Jesus, chapter one, I've listed out to the right. When he saw Jesus in all of his glory, he fell at his feet as though dead. It blew all the circuits. He saw Jesus in all of his glory and authority. 
Here's, here's the challenge for me. Some of you, I told you earlier, it's not always an advantage to walk with Jesus for many years, as you may think it is, because it can bring other challenges. Sometimes I've walked with Jesus long enough that I start to whittle Jesus down to size. That's closer to how I want him to be than who he really is. And what he's looking for is people that will recognize and realize his authority as the Lord over them, over me. So for me, the battle early in my life was whether or not I would let Jesus be the Lord of my life in every area. And somebody goes like, well, like, I don't think that's a big deal. I don't necessarily have to trust Jesus that way. You want to bet? If you don't trust Jesus that way, everything in your life is going to be a fight or a coin toss. Every situation you get up to say, well, I don't think I'm necessarily going to let him be the Lord of my life and have authority over me in this situation. And you, it's always a battle. So what he's saying is, do you realize my authority over you? Some of you know one of my favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I was, I was thinking about that this morning. Is this, I, I'd never made this connection before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Who's the him? The Lord. Acknowledge him as the Lord in all your ways. Everything you deal with, everything you face, every situation you're in, and he will direct your path. If you don't acknowledge him as Lord, he not only can't direct your path, but it's going to be a fight all the time. So what he's looking for is, will you acknowledge him? And do you notice the centurion calls him Lord? He says, Lord. And he began to acknowledge his authority and power. How has this affected me this week? I'll just tell you how I've tried to apply this. Because I have this temptation to sometimes think of Jesus less than he is, as great as he is, two things that are helpful. When I read the Bible every day, it often brings me back to what I forget. So it gives me a chance to hear of him. The second thing is, is I've tried this week a number of times that when I bow my head, I pause longer than I normally do when I say, Lord or God and I begin to think of his authority over me in a fresh way. And I begin to see how powerful he is over every situation. See, friends, if you and I whittle Jesus down to size and make him smaller than he actually is and don't realize his authority over us, then when we have a situation or a problem, we, we put that situation next to Jesus, and that situation looks bigger than Jesus. But if you have a situation and you realize, oh my goodness, in light of his authority and power, that's the best way to understand this. Now it changes you. Second thing is a new direction. Not only a new realization, but a new direction. Friends, when people say, I don't have faith, it's not true. In one sense, that's not true at all. All of us have faith. It's what direction is it turned to. So for instance, when, when the other people that were around, when Jesus says, I've not seen such great faith even in Israel, why did some people not trust Jesus? It wasn't because they didn't have faith, but because their faith was in something else. When you and I don't trust Jesus, it's because we trust something else more. So what the Holy Spirit needs to do in our lives is direct us to Jesus so that it's about the object of our faith, not the strength of our faith. When people tell me that great faith is about how big it is, and I have such great faith, Jesus even said once, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's enough. If it's in me, because it's directed the right way. Therefore, it's not the perfection of our faith, but the direction of our faith that Jesus is asking. And you know what? This Roman centurion says, here's what I'm doing. My faith looks to you. I look to you and not somewhere else or to myself. 
The third thing I want you to see is, is it a new foundation? Great faith is a new foundation. It means being confident. Did I share the last line away from all their objects to trust Jesus? Didn't do that. Now I clean that up. Okay. Confident in Jesus' character, not my own. Not my own. So let me go back to this. When the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, he deserves for you to help him. They were announcing their understanding of a faith system or their understanding of how you approach God. They thought, here's how you do it. You do certain things out of moral performance, not out of love or trust in God. You do them out of moral performance so that God will owe you. Therefore, you'll see people from time to time get really ticked when something happens to them because they say, I've been doing this, this, and this, and this still happened to me. And what they're saying is, is God owed me and he didn't come through. I am trusting in my moral performance and that is what he wants me to do, right? No, he wants you to trust in him, not your moral performance. But then other people go, well, my moral performance is lousy. Therefore, he'll never help me. Guess what they're trusting in? Their moral performance. It's just two sides of the same thing. What Jesus is saying is, cut that out. You'll never deserve that. If that's what you're trying to do, that game, that game will kill you. Sometimes I play a game called, what do I deserve? And I remind myself what I really deserve. And it brings me back to gratitude on a regular basis. But here's the thing. If you and I have him as a foundation, picture two rock climbers. They both get stuck on a ledge. And there's really a couple ways they can actually move to get off that ledge. One says, I have great confidence that if I step on this rock over here, it'll hold me up and I can go this way. He's totally sincere. Faith is really strong in that rock. And what happens? He falls. The other one goes, I'm not necessarily sure this is what I'm supposed to do, but I think this one will hold me. And he does. And it holds him. Was it the strength of his conviction or was it what it was placed on? My faith has found a resting place in Jesus. My trust is not in my faith. My trust is in him. And so friends, here's the, here's the question. I want to just ask you as we close this, by the way, I have a friend in Iowa, a couple, a couple that pray for me every day. And uh, they were part of our church when I was pastor out there and we stay in touch. And I thank them on a regular basis for just praying for me and all my weakness. And, and they, and so they say, I, I'll call them sometimes and say, man, it feels like God really heard and answered your prayers today. You know, kind of like saying it's your prayers that made the difference. And they said, no, no, no. Here's what we've learned. We can ask. We can ask because it's about his character. It's about who he is. It's about his authority, not about our worthiness. He makes us worthy, not because we're worthy. And so as we come to this last question, here we are. What situation do I need to trust you with right now, Jesus? What situation, if you're following along, what situation do I need to trust you? I asked you at the beginning to think about it. Again, what is it? What is it for you? Can I just tell you one of the ones right now for me? I have a couple bruised relationships that I, every time I think about them, they break me. And I've just been trying to learn all I can by trusting Jesus with these situations because everything in me wants to control it. Everything wants to fix it. So he says, you know, will you trust me with it? But I'll just tell you a quick story of when God came right to my seat, man. Some of you know that this room we're sitting in right now, in order to build this campus about 12 years ago, we had a financial uh, chapter where we challenged ourselves, everyone in the church, 
to consider giving sacrificially in order that we might make room for more. It wasn't about us, it was about making room for other people. And so, but the problem is, is that that's when God got my attention. You know, I told you about the Roman centurion having a sick servant. Well, now being a pastor of church, I, I, he got my attention. I go, okay. And here's the reason why I got my attention. Our oldest son, five months later, would start a private college. And our second son had been accepted at Illinois Math and Science Academy up in Aurora. And that was going to require um, a tuition as well. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, God, this has my attention. I don't think this is a really good time for our church to give sacrificially. And also not a really good time for me to be the pastor who's supposed to stand up and ask other people to do that without being willing to do it myself. So I was wrestling. But friends, I'd heard of Jesus. I'd heard of what Jesus can do when people trust him. There was a couple in this church who Trish and I were in their kitchen one night and they said, way back a number of years ago when Cherry Hills had another financial you know, challenge, Oh man, we felt like baby Christians, but God showed us what he wanted us to do above and beyond what we were already doing. And it made our knees knock. And he showed us that he could help us in such a way. And they went on to say, he even helped us pay for both of our kids' college while that was going on. And I remember thinking to myself, man, Lord, that would be awesome. Would you, like, would you help me that way if we get in that kind of situation? So anyway, I'm in that and I was feeling this chow, chow, chow thing, you know? And, uh, I'm feeling, you know, because I, I, here's what I want you to understand. Great faith does not mean that you never have a sense of, God, really? It doesn't mean we're always super strong or super. It's about trusting him, even in our weakness. And so uh, the, the team that was part of this challenge said that I needed to stand up and tell the whole church what Trish and I were going to do. We talked with our kids, made sure. I'll never forget that day. I stood up. You would have loved this. I cried as I mentioned it. I was so scared. But God kept asking me, Jeff, how much can you trust me for? How much can you trust me for? And again, this isn't about student loans. This isn't about whether you didn't. But four years later, God had helped us pay for both our boys' tuition and also what he asked us to give. And there were some months that Trish and I go, are we crazy? Is this going to happen? Is he going to come through? I could tell you for the next hour stories what God did in the 11th hour. Friends, God is so faithful. But he's looking for us to trust him with whatever may be in front of us. Will you? So we want to just give you a few moments to bow your head. And here's what I'd love if you're willing to do is say, Jesus, here's where I'm at with you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not there or I am there, but I, I know this is a moment of truth. Will you help me? Will you talk with him about what he's asking you to trust him with?
years, no matter how many years some of us have walked with Christ, he's still looking for faith. He's still looking for us to trust him with everything in our lives. And here's the cool thing. Because this guy did, other people got blessed. And when you and I trust the Lord, we have no idea how far we'll travel, but we want to be a blessing in this community. We want other people to experience his healing touch. We want other people to know his grace and his concern for them. Amen? So let's trust him no matter how challenging it may be. And I know for some of you, you may feel like you're up against it. Let me pray for you and remind you there's always people down front that can pray with you. One last thing before I pray. Next Sunday, a guy named Matt and a guy named Ben are gonna be our guest teachers. They have been coaching the pastors for the last year and a half. And they have really helped us look at the whole Christian life in a different way. They're going to be teaching in the next passage in Luke. I hope you'll come. I hope if you're here, I hope you'll come. We're looking forward to them teaching in all three services. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. And so if somebody says, what's happening next Sunday? Say, Matt and Ben. Matt and Ben are teaching. Okay. So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you look for trust and you help us grow in it. And I pray that wherever anybody is in this room today, that you'll help them know what their next step of trust is with you. And then you'll help them do it. And even if they have chow, chow, chow moments like we all do, help them, God. Help them for Jesus' sake. Amen. God bless you.